Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm a feminist, but last night someone told me about a sex party at a music festival and instead of saying, wow, how sex positive, I said, that is revolting. None of them would have had a shower. (laughs) Really, though, would you want to have sex with anyone at a festival? I know people do hook up at festivals, just ignoring the fact that both of them have been rolling around in mud and not cued for the most disgusting loo in the world and all of that. I'm like, Do you want to hear a disgusting festival story? Sure. I... uh... So I was about 17, right? And I was at a a festival called Oxygen Music Festival, which was genuinely like Nam uh, for 16-year-olds, right? And uh, I like it was so bad. I caught trench foot, right? (laughs) At that, like I caught a disease you get in World War One, like (laughs) 20 miles outside of Dublin, right? So. That was, oh and <laughs> I thought it'd be fun to have a mud fight with my friend because I'd watched like uh, MTV. <laughs> you know? And uh, we were having this fight in the mud and like absolutely caked each other in mud. And uh, we realized that there was a broken toilet. Uh, oh. Raw sewage. Oh, shit. Raw sewage. No shower, uh. right? Lost my wellies. Still got a boyfriend though, right? Someone asked me out. He asked me out and then he asked for a hand job and I said no. So he broke up with me then. But 
genuinely, I was like, after, I was like traumatized, right? I had my really heart broken traumatized. for the first time, but yeah. felt pretty good about myself. Uh, I'm a feminist, but I went to Vienna this week, right? That's, that's not unfeminist, but... Um, <laughs> I'm a feminist, but I went to Vienna this week and I saw a painting of uh, Jesus Christ ascending to heaven, right? And I looked at it and uh, I thought his waist looked really good. And... <laughs> I wish I had a waist like Jesus. <laughs> I looked at him and I thought, you'd spend hundreds of pounds, uh, you know, getting shapewear made by Kim Kardashian to look like that. And all he's done has been crucified for it. Um, I thought Jesus was cinched to the gods. <laughs> I'm, I'm ashamed to say that, but yeah, I did look at that painting. I was like, it is a beautiful work of art, but he's looking good. <laughs> you know? I just, I just, I don't know. I, no, I, no. I'm just always surprised that I'm attracted to Jesus. I'm not. I keep forgetting. I think about your childhood. I'm surprised you're attracted to anyone else. I know. <laughs> yeah, he, he was like my, my, you know. Did you ever think about becoming a nun and being a bride of Christ? Yeah, I did. Of course I did. Yeah. <laughs> it was more emphatic than I thought it was going to be. Like, some people want to be princesses. I genuinely, like the clothes that the nuns wear, the authority... I loved it. Like, you know. You would have been a great Mother Superior. I would have been a horrible Mother Superior. No, you wouldn't. You would have been absolutely charming and delightful. But I think you would have known when to say when. I don't know. I think I would have inflicted quite a lot of hurt if I was a Mother (laughs) Superior. Do you know when you just know and you're like, that's not for me? Uh, (laughs) I'm a feminist, but I walk down the street in what is effectively underwear tonight. And I felt really, really fabulous. Mm -hmm. Um... Now, this is not anti-feminist, of course. Anyone's allowed to wear whatever they want. But the secret that made me feel that this was very sexy is that nobody knows it's underwear. Um, I am currently wearing... In fact, I walked out onto the stage. So what I'm currently wearing is an underslip. Okay. Oh. This, is a, this isn't a dress. I've misled you all. <laughs> this is a sexy secret. This came under a dress. This was one of those under a dress bit slips. This is a slip. And then... The slip is so low, it comes down to here. That's, you could see my tits if I didn't for, have a little For the listeners at home, you're pointing at between your titties. Thank you. <laughs> I don't this think I've a... ever referred to them as titties before, but... This is a bra. This is a bra that you're seeing now. It's all an illusion. I'm just walking... I might as well have come in here in a thong and nothing on top. But what I've done is I've distracted you by topping it off with this extreme festival wear. Yeah. Um, this actually makes me feel like Jesus because I do Jesus arms when I'm in it. I, that's why I'm attracted to you right now. <laughs> that is correct. <laughs> um, I'm a feminist, but uh, this week when I went to Vienna, I went on a roller coaster and I celebrated when the f- safety harness fitted me. And I d- if it didn't fit me, I don't think I would have said anything and I would rather have been thrown... <laughs> thrown into a wiener schnitzel stand <laughs> at 60 miles per hour rather than be asked to leave the roller coaster <laughs> for my own safety. <laughs> Live from the Soho Theatre in London, the Spontaneity Shop presents The Guilty Feminist with me, Alison Spittle and our very special guest Fern Brady talking about neurodivergence. 
the first week of fucking January to fight the patriarchy. Not like those feminists who are still in bed finishing off the celebrations. Oh no, oh no, not like those February feminists who are waiting later, I'll come out, I'll do some equality fighting later. No, no, we're here in first week of fucking January, like the legends that we are. Thank you. You might notice that I am wearing festival wear. That's to convince myself it's summer. Because once Christmas is over, it's just this. It's just greyness and coldness. So we must come together for love and warmth as feminism and God intended. (laughs) And I do believe, of course, when I say God, that God is non-binary because if God created us all in their own image, then, sorry, Republicans, (laughs) you're very wrong. Of course, I, I say sorry, Republicans. I'm assuming no one here is a Republican. If you are a Republican, though, and you've come, you are welcome to change. (laughs) Any Republicans in? Give us a cheer. Any Americans in? Wow. But I... Now, any... All the Americans in, then, I can only assume are Democrats or Independents. Give us a cheer if you're a Democrat. Give us a cheer if you're an Independent. (laughs) Did you just say fuck you? That was one anarchist. (laughs) One who's basically come into a basement because someone said there's feminism down there and she's not, I'm not a fucking Democrat. Fuck you! I'm here for anarchy. She saw the sleeves. She believed in the anarchy of the sleeves. The great thing about this, it's made by a company called State of Disarray, which I think sounds a bit like Smash the Patriarchy, doesn't it? State of Disarray. Also, it's very ethical. It sort of like has people on there say, we make your clothes and it's really, really lovely. It's affordable, but not so affordable that you feel bad. Um, <laughs> it's got that feel. It's, it's really, really lovely. But it, the best thing is it makes you do Jesus arms. <laughs> and those arms are the arms of vulnerability and power. That's why it's become a significant... That, the reason Christianity really took off, I think, is it had a really, really good central symbol. <laughs> it's like Nike's got the swoosh, do you know what I mean? You just see the swoosh, you know it's Nike. Christianity's got... <laughs> and you just know, you just know, you just know, you just know. And if you, if you are Christian, again, you are, you are very welcome and, and don't feel you've come in, If you've come in here with a faith, you will leave with it. It's okay. I'm not here to change you. I was a Jehovah's Witness for many years and I'm sort of done with that period. Um, it's Women's Christmas. What's Women's Christmas? Today? This is, this is a very typical guilty feminist heckle. Just, you know, you're riffing somewhere, something got a good laugh, there's something got a medium-sized chuckle, and you're thinking, where will I go from here? Because it's, you know, it's all on the fly. And then in a regular comedy club, someone would shout, tell us a joke. But here, someone will shout, it's Women's Christmas! Um, thank you. Thank you. What's just, could I just get you to say your name? Hannah. Hannah. Yes. Um, uh, so, Hannah, could you please, in fact, we've got a little audience mic here, in case you wanted to come out. Do you want to come out and tell us about Women's Christmas? Yay! Hannah! Hello! No, okay. What you're wearing now makes me think you're women's Santa. (laughs) Is this the feminist Santa look? It looks like you're feminist Santa. 
Okay, go on. Please tell us. You could take the mic and then, you know, uh, t- talk to me or talk to them, okay, whichever so, you'd prefer. So Women's Christmas is uh, the 6th of January and it's an Irish tradition where uh, women on... Uh, it's the last day of the Christmas festivities and it's the day where women have the day off. And oh! So, yeah, so they don't do... Oh, they do that nice that women get one yeah, day off right. a year? Yeah, yeah. Christmas. So we celebrate it. Oh, so in Ireland, because women and cooked, have cooked and they've cleaned cooked, cleaned and done, raised the children, the children and all of that sort of stuff for yeah, the whole exactly. of Christmas. Yeah. 6th of January hits. 6th of January, Bada boom. bing, bada boom. Yeah. Women yeah. get to sit down. And be like... Is it for a full 24 hours or more like eight? Well, it's, so it's Christmas night. So oh, I for like fuck's sake. <laughs> Hannah, oh, what, they get an evening off. What, they cook, but they don't have to do the washing up. No, this is women's think, Christmas. <laughs> I'm so sad. I was, we, were, we were elated by the idea of something for women and now it's been snatched cruelly away. But they're supposed to get the day off, but the supposed night to... itself is called women's Christmas Okay, they're Christmas supposed night. to get the day off, but obviously that can't happen. No, of course not. No, no, <laughs> not with the pay gap. How would anything um, get done? <laughs> So they're very lucky and grateful to get the evening off. So men traditionally cook on January 6th yes. in the evening. Yeah, That's yeah, what yeah. you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's small pickings. It's, it's, sad, it's sadder than we thought. But it's listen, old, it's we're, we're grateful for what we can get, Hannah. We're grateful for what we can get. Um, thank you so much no, for telling us about Women's thank Christmas you. in Ireland. Thank you. Thank you. Um... Anybody got anything else that it is feminist this week? Or it's the anniversary of the storming of the Capitol. That wasn't very feminist. That was awful. Um, But there were very few women there. So I suppose that was maybe they were taking the night off for Christmas. Uh, um, Well, normally I do a bit of crowd work, but Hannah's done that. That The crowd work came to me tonight and I'm really pleased. Do you know why? It's women's Christmas. If I'd known, I wouldn't have been here. I would have sent a man to do the guilty feminist and it would have just been someone like, you know, Russell Howard coming out and going, ooh, uh, it's women's Christmas, so uh, I'm stepping in. Uh, I'm a feminist, but I don't know much about it. Um, I don't know why. Why is that Russell? Poor Russell Howard. That's nothing like Russell Howard. Jack Whitehall. It's more like Jack Whitehall. This is Jack Whitehall doing women's Christmas. Um, Ooh, ooh, ooh. I've got a mother. I love her a lot. She's wonderful. I gave her the night off once. Well, I say I did. It was really the dishwasher. I'm incredibly rich. That's more Jack Whitehall. That's more Jack Whitehall. Are we ready to start the podcast? Then please welcome to the stage my co-pilot for this evening, the one, the only, the incredible Alison Spittle. Hello. Hello, darling. Did you know it's Women's Christmas? You're Irish. I did. I did know it was Women's Christmas. It's it's kind of cool that it's just Irish because I feel if it was worldwide, we'd get men on Twitter going, but when's men's Christmas? (laughs) 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 You know? Um, But yeah, yeah, Women's Christmas is a thing in Ireland. There's St. Bridget's Day as well. That's another day. Oh, there's Ireland. always Saints Days, aren't there? Yeah. A lot of the Saints are women, fair play. Yeah, but you don't hear much of them, do you? You know what I mean? I don't know. It's what like Harry some... Potter. Like Hermione's the only well-known uh, woman in the Harry Potter world, really. Like Mary, Mother of God. Like she's the Hermione of the Bible. <laughs> you know? It's strange that, because J.K. Rowling's really keen on oh, women's shit. rights. Oh, yeah. Oh. Um, I forget. I she know. Loves women. I, you know. 
anyway, no, I'm not. I'm not saying you're not allowed to talk about Harry Potter. I'm not. Absolutely. No, no. I was just. I just saw a gag and went for it, Alison. No, what no, does no. Bridget? If this is Sir Bridget's day, what did Bridget do? She actually gave out abortions. Like uh, and became a saint. Does the Pope know? Yeah, I feel quite strongly. If the Pope knew it was for abortions, he must have been probably just busy that day going through the paperwork and just you'd probably had a hangover or something, just signing yeah, the bottom of each that. one. Thought, well, if they're on the pile, someone must have okayed this. Oh, and it was, it was, had no idea it was from Ireland and a woman had submitted it or something. Yeah, I mean that's the one thing she would like. That's not the most famous thing that she's done, but it's a thing what that I've What could she have done learned. that was more famous than abortions in Ireland? Uh, she she. Made a, a king, like a high king, and uh, I didn't think I'd be speaking about this, but uh, <laughs> I'll give it a go to the best of my knowledge. What she did was uh, she was chatting to a king and said, I want to build a monastery on your land. And the king, who was not into Christianity at the time, was like, I'll give you it. I'll give you, I'll give you as much land as, like, I think, like, now I definitely might have remembered this wrong, but for what I think it was, it was like, there's a pig, there's a pig, and a blanket, right? <laughs> I'm not saying she invented wrapping rashers around sausages. I think you are. I think we found out why abortions isn't the most ex- exciting. <laughs> yeah. she, she invented pigs in blankets, people. She well, invented women's Christmas. <laughs> I know what I'd prefer at Christmas anyway, and that would be a sausage and a, and a rasher. Um, but that was sorry, vegans. Sorry, unless vegans. it was a sex pun. In let's which... say it was. Let's say, let's say it was. But um, he, he, he said, like, so you'll get the land, but it has to be as big as this blanket that the pig can, can drag. And apparently the miracle was the blanket got bigger and bigger and bigger oh. until she, she had a lot of land. But the abortion thing, uh, <laughs> back to... The, Presumably that is why we call it pigs in blankets at Christmas, though. There must be. It must be named after that miracle. Oh, yeah. Or, like, why we have abortions. It's like, you know. Well, that's very recent for Ireland. I know. It is, yeah. It is. But, like, uh, so what she did was uh, a nun was crying. And... um, This is the most Irish story I've ever heard. (laughs) She was crying because she was pregnant. And uh, she was like, Bridget, I'm pregnant. And then... Bridget put her hand on her stomach and goes, don't worry, hon. And uh, apparently, no more pregnancy. So, wow. I know. Wow. That's the Bridget method, is it? Just... That's the Bridget method. The, the, she was doing a bit of Reiki abortioning. Do you know what I mean? Do you think... Reiki do, healing. Do, where you just do you put think... your hand up. I'm just going to grab my um, <laughs> grab my phone. Sorry. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. All right. I've had, that was a lovely chat, though. Wasn't it? Uh, pro- wasn't it? Probably not going to make much sense. I, like... Hannah. Hannah. Do you, do, is everything that Alison said correct yeah. about Bridget's St. Bridget? Because she's always my Irish yeah. go-to, but Hannah, I never check it on Wikipedia. Hannah, like, remember now that St. Bridget was the founding member of Bewitched. Yeah. <laughs> Hashtag never forget. <laughs> Hannah, Hannah, would you endorse most of what Alison said? Genuinely. <laughs> do you know anything about Bridget? Am I... So there's a thing called St. Bridget's Crosses where we get reeds, like little reeds as school children and they make us work as school children and, and manufacture crosses <laughs> for... You just never know with Alison if she is just... It could be one long wind-up, the story she tells me about Ireland. No, I'm right, I'm right, I'm but, right, aren't I? Isn't that what we do? Huh? 100% Thank you, love. There I mean... Go. The voice of a man, therefore... <laughs> 
Genuinely, I genuinely thank you, but you know what? <laughs> I don't. I don't want to. I don't wish to impose gender on you. Are you a man? Yes. Okay. You don't have to say it as if you're. You don't have to say it as if you're ashamed of it. We love. We love men. Uh. But thank you. I'm oh, sorry. No. No. I made that noise in it. That came out. I'm sorry. Hashtag not all women no. love. Hashtag not all men. No. I just made a noise and it corresponded with that, but that wasn't what I was. What, what's your name? Vincent. Vincent. Thank you so much, Vincent. <laughs> Great, I'm a right. feminist, but mm, mm. I feel more validated by Vincent for confirming that I was correct. <laughs> then, is it a Hannah? Then I did by Hannah. Then yeah. Hannah. Yeah, I'm mm. sorry. To be honest, that with... is fucked up, but yeah. genuinely, that okay. is my truth. All okay? right. I'm a feminist, but I did too. But I'll tell you why it was. It was oh. that Hannah just sounded like she was going to endorse whatever you said. She was like, I've got your sister. She had that attitude. Right. We didn't... Well, we'd... Vincent doesn't sound like you eat, like, rocks of my shit at all. Is that it? it? Was... Like, like... He... No, he's just been socially conditioned yeah. to say all his opinions like they're facts. That's, that's yeah. how he's been socially... That's what men have been socially conditioned. If Vincent's an Alison Spittle truther, where he's like, she's not even Irish. Do you know yeah. what I mean? He just laid it down. Firstly, we'd never heard from him before. That gave him some credibility because yeah. we're like, he's weighing in without a previous relationship. <laughs> Secondly, he just banged... He didn't say, oh, yeah, I think that's right. He just went 100% correct. Yeah. And no, that's what that. men do. That's what men do. They think we don't know, but we know. We know. We know. And that's... Listen, Vincent, is that your lived experience? Did you, have you, did you make those crosses as a small boy? You did, yeah. Okay. Vincent is also the Pope, so... <laughs> Can you imagine if the Pope just turned up at the Guilty Feminist? Like it was, like it was Sister Act. I would love that. <laughs> I would fucking love that. Well, he's like clapping along to I Will Survive at the end. Yeah. You know? Do you reckon that we could get him on as a guest? Just yeah. to sort of interrogate some of his more ridiculous we have, beliefs. We could have a, the Guilty Pope, right? Where it's like, I'm a Pope, but... <laughs> I'm not sure if God exists. Like, <laughs> do you know? I'm a Pope, but I just masturbated before I came on this podcast. <laughs> I'm a Pope, but I shat in the woods. Hey! Yeah. This is The Guilty Feminist, the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as 21st century feminists and the hypocrisies and insecurities which... Undermine them. I'm Deborah Francis White. With me is Alison Spittle. And tonight we are talking about neurodivergence. <laughs> right, so um, let's let's. I'm going to do a quick vibe check with you. Um, give me a shout here. Who's on long-term contraception? <laughs> I'm a I'm a I'm a big advocate of long-term contraception. Um, I moved over to the UK, and uh, the two things I love about the UK: number one, uh, so solid crew. I love them. <laughs> They're amazing. I they're genuinely do the best thing about the UK is so sad a crew. Um, number two, the NHS. I love the NHS, right? Uh, they're very similar organisations if you think about it. Do you know NHS and so sad a crew? Uh, we don't know how many people work in either organisation. 
It's just so vast. And also the government are trying to tear them apart. Um, so I've been, uh, I've been offered long-term contraception by the NHS. There are two types of contraception that they offer you on the NHS. Uh, they're both the coil. They're both the coil. Now, um, one is the copper coil. And the side effects of the copper coil include heavier periods, right? That's a side effect of the copper coil. And the other one is the hormonal coil. And the side effects of that include suicidal ideation. So it's quite the choice you're given. <laughs> and I was sitting in the doctor's office thinking to myself, now, Alison, you were a fan of the Smiths and the Cure. And don't lie to yourself, Papa Roach as well. You know the taste of suicidal ideation. Maybe it's better the devil you know. So I opted for the suicide one. And, uh, and now I'm going to describe for you in my new detail the insertion process in a coil. Why? Because it's Friday night, baby. Um, <laughs> First off, location is key when getting your coil inserted. Location is key. I got my coil inserted above a little in Archway. Um, <laughs> where every little girl dreams of her first coil. And um, I went up to the room and there was three people in the room and I thought this is quite a lot of people for what I was told was going to be a very small procedure that you might have to take a few painkillers for beforehand, but of course you could go to work that afternoon after it, right? And I thought this is quite a lot of people. There was a nurse, there was a student nurse, and there was a doctor, right? And I lay back on a trolley, I put my two legs up in stirrups, right? And the nurse is beside me talking to me. And she's saying to me, like, uh, what are you listening to there on your phone? And I said, uh, well, I'm just listening to Trojan Record, um, Trojan record compilation and she says I'm from Jamaica and we have this big long chat about Jamaican music and it's great and while that's happening right um the doctor puts a thing inside me called the speculum now if you don't know what a speculum is I'll describe it for you um it's basically a piece of equipment uh designed to prise the walls of your vagina apart to give the doctor room to work in right it's a lot like it's a lot like a carjack for your puss, right? That's what it is. And um, <laughs> the doctor puts that in and, then, and the nurse is talking to me. And I think like, this is quite a lot of talking. Like, you know, I wonder what else she's going to do. And um, the doctor puts the... What happens then is um, I hear this noise. And it's a noise you never want to hear at any procedure, especially one involving your vagina. And it went like this. And I hear that noise and I think to myself, what's this, what's this, right? But I didn't want to say anything because they're professionals. I'll leave them to it, right? But the next noise I heard was a crunch. Once again, I'm lying there with my legs up in stirrups and I think to myself, Alison, are you going to say something? I'm like, no, no. They know what they're doing, Alison. Lay back. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. But the next noise I hear, well, it's just a noise you never want to hear near your vagina in any capacity. And that was Jesus Christ. <laughs> and at this stage, right, like to hear, to hear a Jesus Christ, a crunch and a pop. Like that's the three Rice Krispie men of the apocalypse right there, you know. 
At this, <laughs> at this point, I'm looking over my stomach like a nosy neighbor looking over a fence, right? Going, I've heard a disturbance, right? And uh, the doctor pops up her head and she goes, I'm, I'm sorry, Miss Spittle, this has never happened before. And I'm like, what's after happening? What's after happening? And she goes, you've broken the speculum. I've broken a speculum. <laughs> I've broken a piece of medical grade equipment, right? Designed to prise the walls of my vagina apart and I've shattered down to several pieces. I thought to myself, is this my X-Men's origin story? Is this how I find out I got superpowers? Like... I wanted something to attack London there and then, you know. Terrorists, aliens, I don't care, just anything. So I could go outside and pull my trousers down beside the police and go, lads, lads, I don't know what we can do with this, but just point me like a cannon, we'll see how we go. <laughs> I wanted to text my boyfriend and go, you're a very lucky man. Uh, um, I'm going to stop here because like, that's all the time I have. But there's, there's more to that. Um, have a lovely night. Bye. Alison Spittal, everybody. Please welcome to the stage, Deborah Francis White. So I've written something specially because I want to talk about neurodivergence. And I've never really talked about it on the podcast before, but I got diagnosed with ADHD uh, last year and it made so much sense of so much of my life. Um, so uh, because tonight we're talking about neurodivergence, I am going to read you something I wrote today. I have ADHD, which means I recently spent 10 minutes looking for my glasses and they were on my head. But I don't mean on the top of my head. I mean, on my eyes. <laughs> I was looking through them for them. ADHD stands for Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. But recently, a doctor said to me, it's not really a disorder. It's just that your brain works differently, so you're not ideally suited for the way things are normally done. And maybe it's not as consistent as other people's brains. But sometimes it's much better than other people's brains. So I guess it's like if a vending machine was said to be out of order because instead of giving out Kit Kats, it was giving out diamond tiaras. <laughs> or absolutely fuck all, <laughs> depending on when you push the button. That would be disordered. But you could see advantages. Um, <clears throat> Vincent, if I pause, it's just because I'm scrolling up. So if you could just like busk, fill in a bit. <laughs> You're doing a terrible job. <laughs> That's how I think of myself now. An overly emotional vending machine that cries easily, but really wants to be there for you as much as is humanly possible. But sometimes I'm faking it and wish you would go away so I can watch the traitors again. <laughs> Good things about ADHD. I can come out on stage with very little and fill the time because I believe that if I start a sentence, my brain will finish it. 
Has anyone got the start of a sentence? Vincent? <laughs> you got the start of a sentence? This is getting a little oh. unfair, but you started it. <laughs> what a great example. That's a great example. It's a great example. I'm not trying to take your confidence away, Vincent. I love it. I just want a bit for myself. You won't do that. <laughs> oh. That's definitely Vincent's wife or daughter. <laughs> or just someone he's sitting next to. I don't know. Are you all right, Vincent? We, we want to make you happy. Oh, good. Okay, okay. fine. Okay. Cool. Genuinely great. For, I like, love you, Vincent. Yeah, no, we genuinely, genuinely do. Are you Vincent's partner? Yeah, okay. That makes that handjob stuff weird. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, don't worry. I promise I won't try that. Uh, Bad thing about ADHD, it's easy not to do prep that would make things better because you're okay with relying on your brain to prep precisely one second before you speak. Good thing about ADHD, I'm excited by what you're saying. Bad thing about ADHD, I'll interrupt you to tell you that I'm excited by what you're saying. Good thing about ADHD, I will buy you lunch. Bad thing about ADHD, I will buy you a car even though I can't afford it. <laughs> Good thing about ADHD, I think it will be easy to write a book, so I say yes, please, to writing books. Bad thing about ADHD, it is very difficult to write a book, <laughs> and I only remember that while writing a book. Good thing about ADHD, I write books. Bad thing about ADHD, as soon as I finish writing a book, I forget how hard it was and I enjoy everyone telling me how good the book is at events where I'm not prepared to talk about my book. Good thing about ADHD, I'm a natural optimist because I think every task will take 20 minutes maximum. <laughs> Bad thing about ADHD, nothing takes 20 minutes maximum if you have ADHD. <laughs> Because you keep stopping a 20-minute task to do a four-hour task and you interrupt the four-hour task to fulfill a lifelong dream and you interrupt that to buy someone you don't know very well a car because it will make them so happy and they're doing such great feminist work. Good thing about ADHD, you now have to finish the 20-minute task and the four-hour task to make the strangest car payments. Good thing about ADHD, you don't always have to do things in order. Two goods in a row. Good thing about ADHD? Your mind tells you wonderful lies. <laughs> Better thing about ADHD, sometimes those lies become realities because you've imagined them in lie form first. And that's when your vending machine gives you a diamond tiara or a gold bar or front row tickets to Abba Voyage because you imagined it. You're a 3D printer of your own dreams. You're a big-wheeling, fast-talking lover of the possible. And you believe that the best is probable and you're just the feminist to make it happen. You jump headfirst into shark-infested waters, but you can charm sharks and have learned how to float. You can manifest vibrant love from something that looks to other people like a soggy sandwich or a spent erection. You can make anything stand to attention with the force of will and the will of the people and you can be all of the people. You nanny for the children of the revolution and you imagine that almost every great revolutionary and artist and thinker and innovator and spirit is one of your people. 
kindred spirits dispensing gold bars and helium balloons and three surprising wishes and all of them can be wishes for more wishes. You're a genie, a magician, an illusionist, a lover, a liver. Your disorder is chaos and chaos is a feminine force because it releases itself from the tight control and order of the patriarchy. ADHD is a disorder because every riot, every revolution, every great love song is disordering the world's expectations of how it should be. Long live the disorder that is me. Fuck attention. Now, it's true, I was slightly late for call time because I was writing that, but I can't write that in the morning. I can't write that eight hours before the show. I sit down, I try, and I can't. And then, just as the deadline approaches, I just go, well, now I have to. And then I just have to, like, write a bit fast. But that's why it's not printed out, because I've got a disorder. Now... A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, Guilty Feminist. This is Deborah Just briefly interrupting to let you know that we have a big Guilty Feminist live show for International Women's Day at Leicester Square Theatre in London on the 4th of March. Get your tickets now. It's going to be a spectacular one. We'll be in King's Place in London on the 17th of March. Get your tickets now. We've been having some fabulous times recently back out at live shows. We miss you. Come back out. Get tickets soon, though, because a lot of them are selling out. And please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. Even if you've rated and reviewed it before, it really helps other people find it. You can rate, review and subscribe every episode if you want to. Please give us five stars and tell people about the podcast online or with your face. You can also join our Patreon to get ad-free episodes. And now back to the podcast. 
Our guest today is known for being totally unique and completely fearless. Her caustic wit, exceptional writing and electric stagecraft has made her one of the UK's hottest comedy stars. Her new book, Strong Female Character, is a candid and groundbreaking memoir of neurodiversity, sexism and defying expectations. Put your hands together and make incredible woohooing noises for the one, the only, Fern Brady! <laughs> against uh, autistic I hugged you there yeah but I hugged you I know you and I've met you before uh, <laughs> I hate hugging people that I've not met before so uh, uh, yeah I wrote a book about autism shall I read a little bit to you yes. yes so this is from Fern's new book and can I say I gave Fern's publishers an ama- like a quote saying this book is truly amazing and I feel it should be a set text it's absolutely <laughs> So, sorry, I shouldn't have said that before you're reading it. Um, I, I, I haven't read it yet. <laughs> but you must feel like you have because you've had to listen to me talk about it for the last two years or something. Absolutely. I haven't read it yet because I, I don't read. So. Alison, no, you do. she's making it... Basically, <laughs> our friend wrote an amazing book, right? Marie's uh, got in trouble. Yeah, it's a brilliant uh, book. Marie's got in trouble. And Alison was like, oh, you should meet my friend Maurice. Uh, she's quite similar to you. She's writing a book. And uh, then you said, Maurice has been living in LA having really nice dinners. And yeah. I was like, okay. And you basically told me the book was about her having nice dinners in LA. Yeah. I read the book. It was about her being an escort in LA. <laughs> so yeah. dinners were involved. <laughs> yeah, dinners were involved. I wasn't lying about the dinners. It was just that's what stood out. I yeah, get that. Yeah, I, I get was that. Like, dinner, yes, please. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's such a good, funny book. So okay. um, read this that. is absolutely wonderful and feminist of you and typical to be recommending someone else's book. But we want everyone to read your book. Please oh, read something I'm from shaking. your book. Uh, well, this is from chapter one. Uh, basically, I, I knew I was autistic for, since I was about 16, but it was a pain in the arse to get diagnosed. I was too busy. Then I started having audience members come up uh, and tell me they thought I might be autistic after gigs. So this is in the run up to that circa 2017. It was becoming obvious that I behaved in a way that was deemed socially unacceptable at work. I'd made the editor of a hipster magazine nearly cry on a phone call and wasn't sure why. I'd had meetings where the producers seemed to think I didn't like them because I'd asked what the point of the meeting was. People really didn't like it when I did this and would often say, it's just a general chat, which is intimidatingly vague with no discernible outcome. If you didn't work out the purpose of a meeting, it could mean you ended up meeting the person repeatedly, like the time I met up with a producer for years, wondering whether it was work or if she was just my friend now. Um... (laughs) There was also the time I let a pervy old agent phone me at nights and chat for hours without ever signing me as I didn't want to seem rude by asking him why we had to talk on the phone so often. Gradually, I came to understand that I was supposed to engage in a social game of pretending I wanted to meet the person, not for work purposes, but for a coffee. I understood this was called building relationships and it's where you pretend you want to be friends with someone in order to obtain the thing that you want. Some years though. Um, sometimes you had to keep these games up for years at a time to get work with them. It seemed nuts, but I'd learned the world wasn't going to change to accommodate me, so I started practicing it. 
Whenever I felt relaxed around people, I would let my guard down and forget to double-check everything I was saying as my curiosity and intense interest in fact-finding overrode the tiny, wizened corner of my brain that ran the social etiquette programme. My friend Dom, a painfully shy Glaswegian actor who I'd known for years, mentioned the time I'd tried to compliment him on his weight loss by saying, your weight really goes up and down a lot, eh? You're like the Kirstie Alley of comedy. (laughs) Another, another comic said that when I first met him, I'd asked if he had the connective tissue disorder Marfan syndrome, as you have all the physical characteristics of it. <laughs> Hearing it recounted back to me a couple of years later, I was mortified I'd hurt his feelings, but I knew it was true because at the time I had just read the Wikipedia entry on Marfan syndrome and felt it would be useful to share it with him. If you've ever been on a night out where you got blackout drunk and have laughed the next day as your friends tell you all the stupid stuff you said, that's what being autistic feels like for me. It's one long blackout night of drinking, except there's no socially sanctioned excuse for your gaffes and no one is laughing. Okay, this is the worst one. Another time, a comedian turned up to a gig after the birth of his second child. It wouldn't stop crying and his face was droopy with exhaustion. I didn't know anything about babies or have any interest in them, but wanted to make conversation and improve my social skills, so I scrambled for a fact that could be useful to him. I seized upon a Guardian piece I'd read on newborns. You know, sometimes a baby won't stop crying because when the mum is changing its nappy, a long hair falls off her head and gets trapped in the baby's willy. (laughs) So, So, you know, it could be that. The room went silent. The comedian made a sound like something was stuck in his throat. There was a blind person in the room too, and I swear at that moment he regained his vision to stare me directly in the eye and a look that said, you stupid cunt. I gulped. It, it was in the Guardian's family segment I offered, grasping for some kind of credibility. No one said a thing. Is that enough? Yeah! this book really opened my eyes to uh firstly all sorts of things about autism i didn't know including having had autistic friends and i've read hannah gadsby's book and that's my favorite one it's really good isn't it but i felt like i learned loads more stuff in your book that i hadn't heard from anyone else and particularly what it's like to be a woman with autism and that it doesn't get diagnosed. And one of the things you were talking about is how women are socially uh, coded to mask in a way that men tend not to be because of something, what I call it man-shevling. A woman has to be really turned out in some way or another to get responsibility. But if a man comes in with odd socks and a dirty raincoat and stares at the floor, people just go, oh, he must be a genius, give him an opera to direct. Yeah. And, And so I think that women just are expected to mask mm-hmm. in a way that uh, that we just have to pretend all the time. Can you talk a little bit about masking? Yeah, uh, well, the, I got amazing at masking, but it was making me worse. I basically thought that if I could, because I was good at languages at school, so I thought I can just learn all the right ways to be a woman by studying it. Uh, and then it's going to be like French verb drills and I'm just going to learn it. But it doesn't work that way because social rules change all the time and things have nuance and uh, people have all these non-verbal cues and you're never going to learn it. But what, one of the reasons I thought the book would be interesting to uh, non-autistic people is everything 
uh, that happens to an autistic woman, like getting punished for not reading between the lines or not following unspoken social rules, it it all affects non-autistic women in some way. I just feel like we get the the sort of sharp end of it. So I thought it would be something that would be interesting for all women to read. It's interesting that you say like you were trying to learn what it was like to be a woman. Like what was your kind of like views on what being a woman was and how did you feel that you weren't? Well, because I speak in a really direct way, so there's that. <laughs> That's a, well, I, I learned the term toxic femininity and that there's this amazing book by an autistic psychologist um, called Devin Price. It's called Unmasking Autism. And he uh, basically said... Wait, what was the question? Have I got oh, fucking ab- ADHD? Ab- about, <laughs> <laughs> about femininity, like the, the impositions of it, femininity. Oh, he, yeah, uh, so Devin Price talks about toxic femininity and that's um, stuff like the way women socialise can be really painful for an autistic woman. Things like passive aggressiveness or sometimes uh, women will say something nice and they're making a nice face. Like to me as an autistic, it, seems like a smiley emoji but they're actually being mean so often you can get bullied as an autistic woman and you can't tell because it seems like they're making all the right faces and saying things in a soft gentle tone of voice and so then like you... regina george in mean girls where she goes, yeah nice yeah yeah bracelet. i actually i've rewatched mean girls and watched it as an autistic film and yeah. it makes sense as an autistic film too because she comes Lindsay lohan's character and it comes from africa right and africa it was a bit dodgy how much they like africa's so different and yeah. stuff yeah most most comedies about 20 years ago are dodgy. yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but if you rewatch mean girls as an autism film it makes sense to me and then I thought much as I'm not keen on uh, Johnny Depp but Edward Scissorhands is a film about autism I think the person that wrote the story said that's what it's about not being able to do social nice reasons yeah to connect you tell a story about in your childhood um, a girl wanting to be friends with you and you going sort of why like what's this about yeah so when I was um, I was really surprised I didn't get diagnosed sooner because when I was little I was best friends with a tree when I was five (laughs) and my mum has drawings of me talking to the tree and Pocahontas uh, patting the tree (laughs) yeah yeah Um, and then I remember little girls would come over and be like let's be friends and I just would sort of look at them and I couldn't speak or anything I just sort of didn't know how to reciprocate um so then I started writing letters to her but I was very scripted in it and I was very like this is how we're going to be friends so I would write letters saying hello Kaylee how many boyfriends do you have I have eight I think we should write letters every Sunday and I was very controlling do you think I'm still that way now we're pals I'm always like we have to go to this restaurant yeah but it's handy because I never make decisions so, like, yeah. genuinely, it's, like, one of the best things about you. But is... Alison's one of the best people at reading me because we've been out in public and she can tell that I'm not... I can't follow a group conversation and stuff and she'll go off and be like, let's get you away from the noise. She's like, my <laughs> support worker. It's, so, it's, it's, it's really sweet how she is with me. But I also... It's because love... you're my best friend and I love you and that's... Uh, yeah. Don't. Sorry. <laughs> But genuinely, like, I'm, I'll oh, shut up. But, like, oh, I just think yeah, you're great. Just so, but yeah. I, 
But I, I also like the way Alison's saying that um, that can meet a need. I think, you know, like if you say, right, we're going to meet on Tuesday and we're going to this Japanese restaurant and this is what we're going to do and we're going to sit in th- at this table because this table is the best table for me. That can be great. If Alison's like, I don't know what to do and I don't yeah. know what's the best and oh, I don't know so what to it's say. it's a good match. Yeah. Well, I think it's a good match. And I think sometimes we just become so obsessed with what's normal and then anything outside that is like, oh, poor you. And it's like, no. Some things that most people have in common are useful because that's how the power structures are built to accommodate most people. Mm -hmm. But there are incredible things about people outside those norms all the time. And generally, those people are the people that make changes in some significant way, shape or form. And I think that's an example of a good match or pairing that you're bringing something to the table that you might think, oh God, I'm so rigid. But Alison might be like, you're my favourite person to hang out with because you say, let's go here, let's do this. And she knows it's not control. She knows it's decisiveness. Mm. Um, you also talked about being a child at a wedding when you had to be a little bridesmaid when you were tiny. Yeah, yeah. And you were in a, put into a, a dress that made you feel certain things. And this is something I didn't know enough about. Could you talk a little bit about this? Yeah, that's the, so I read you guys, I, I tend to do this, I read you guys an extract that's about me offending other people and I feel like at the moment that's the way a lot of people understand autism is how it impacts non-autistic people but really the far worse bit of it is all the sensory stuff like having to pretend that um, like the lights in here are okay but um, like fluorescent lights in airports and supermarkets are unbearable to me which sounds really precious but if any of you have seen my stand-up before I'm not yeah. I'm not that type of person so yeah, I, I wrote in the book about how um, my family used to think I was evil because I would have these violent meltdowns as a child over the sensation of my clothes. And it tends to be with little autistic girls that you you just get labelled as difficult, whereas it gets picked up in boys much sooner. And so if a boy is having a bad reaction to his shirt, they say, this something's got to be wrong here. And they take them to the doctor. The doctor says, probably autistic. Let's mm-hmm. test them. But if it's a girl, it's just like, you just don't like this dress. And so yeah. there's an assumption that you're not being compliant in a way we expect girls to be. And it's a really heartbreaking story about how they put your your hair in really they, tight braids. Yeah, this and wedding that was like legendary in my family. I had tightly braided hair and a, a itchy lace dress and I had this meltdown. And then that became the start of the family saying that I was evil. My family are really Catholic. So they only, <laughs> they only really understand things in good or evil. Um, and then that was just it for ages. And so, yeah, they were, but you were really harshly punished for that. And it's just really heartbreaking mm. because you go, this child is having an, a, just a visceral reaction to something and doesn't have the impulse control to go, oh, well, I guess I just have to get through this bit because yeah. you're a very small child. But then instead of relieving that, they're punishing that and they're saying there's something inherently bad about you. Um, and that really broke my heart. And I, I think there were other things in it that surprised me as well. At one point, you was you were sent away. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Oh, yeah. I um, When I was 16, uh, 15, 16, and I was doing um, the Scottish equivalent of your A-levels, I guess, uh, I had a massive nervous breakdown, which I would now term autistic burnout, and uh, got put in a CAMS unit, which is like a child and adolescent mental health thing uh, so that was what where I did my exams and I'd re- I strongly suspect that other people that were in the unit with because it was mostly girls that were in the unit I think a few of them were autistic as well I don't know about the ethics of speculating on that but I've written it in my book so <laughs> <laughs> 
um, because you can pretty much time your watch, but like, this is fucked. Since I've started talking about autism, I get parents of autistic teen girls messaging me and it shouldn't be the case that they're asking a clown for advice on autism but it's so it, it's terrible that that's like the resource they've got to go to and you can almost set your watch by it that autistic girls will have a terrible time when they make the transition from primary school to secondary school it happens all the time it's what happened to my sister like she yeah. i got two sisters that are autistic and the eldest one wasn't diagnosed until she was a teenager and then they decided or we'll look through the rest of the, the family and see if there's, like, autism with there. And, um, like, I'm so... This sounds, like, so demeaning, but I'm just, like... It took such a long time for them to get diagnosed. And as a family, with uh, having burnouts and stuff, and it was, like, such a... If, if, if people had the information back then, I think just people would have a, a lot more empathy. Mm-hmm. For, you know, because I, I, I think the world would be a better place for people of any you know any different and I I, I get scared of using different terms because I don't want to be you know but, <laughs> yeah. but, but yeah. for neurotypical and neurotypical people because not all neurotypical people are that typical like there's yeah you know there's divergence within that typicality as well and so I think just listening and trying to respond and I think in many ways things have got better but I think everyone should read the book because especially if you've got kids or kids that you love in your family because just being able to spot those signs I mean, it will save you years of hurt. There's people in my family that have been, you know, diagnosed. And as soon as you're diagnosed, or even me being diagnosed with ADHD, which is nowhere near as difficult, but I think... I'm glad you said that, because I have a lot of ADHD people trying to relate to me to be kind, and I find them so different. Yeah, it's not the same at all. And, yeah. and it also, I guess, the, the way in which I have ADHD, maybe someone else is listening out there and going, but it is hard, oh, yeah. really hard for me. Yeah. It's not, it's, I don't think I can compare it, but I will say just knowing, I've just forgiven myself so much because the doctor said to me, um, I said, I just don't understand why some things are so easy for me that other people go, oh my God, it's so amazing you could do that. But then I can't do basic things that 10-year-olds do. I can't kind of keep my bedroom tidy. And I'm like, other parts of my flat are tidy, but the bedroom, it's just always a landfill on my side of the bed. And I'm like, I just get so upset with myself. Like, why can't I be on time? Why can't I do this? And what the doctor said is, would you give up being able to go out onto the stage at Hammersmith Apollo and being able to just talk without a script in exchange for having an always tidy bedroom. And I went, no, of course not. And she went, well, that would be your trade-off. She said, a tidy bedroom's just a convention. It's just a social norm. She's like, who gives a fuck if your bedroom's not tidy? Look at what ADHD is giving you and then ask yourself why you're so concerned about conventions. And it was really, really good. That was the second doctor I saw. The first doctor just asked me loads of questions and said, yeah, you've got it, here's some pills. Um, I didn't really like the pills because it made, made me like, like I was on MDMA or something. You know that? You know, yeah. kind of are, aren't you? Is that like... Is it, well, it is, is, it it speed? is speed. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. Like, yeah, it's yeah. basically speed. And so it's like... But you know when you see people at festivals or something going like that? I had to have chewing gum in the evening because mm-hmm. then it would get really bad. And that was the only way I could... And I'm like, I don't really want this. I think I'm just going to try and... F- I, might, I mean, I might have a go again. Anyway, um, but the point is, I don't think it's anywhere near as bad for me personally compared to reading your book, but I, just being diagnosed is such a relief because you stop beating yourself up all the time and just go, well, this is how it is and we'll get round to these things. Can you talk a little bit about, like, you, you introduced me to some terms like holistic. 
oh yeah, because I prefer to say holistic rather than say autistic people versus neurotypical people. Basically, holistic just means not autistic people. I wanted to be very clear uh, rather than, I didn't want to say neurodivergent too much because it's such a wide umbrella like doesn't it include people with brain injuries and dyspraxia and all sorts so I was trying to be as specific as possible in the book Uh, going back to what you said about it it is worth getting diagnosed if you're constantly beating yourself up over it I spent about three years trying to cure my autism which isn't a thing that you can do I thought if I just read up enough on all the different social skills that it was going to just go away and I'd just fix it. And then I heard this amazing Radio 4 documentary with this woman that used to be a stand-up in Britain. She was autistic and she said that um, being autistic and masking it is like trying to speak a foreign language for 24 hours a day. Uh, And that's, that's like the best description I've heard of it. And I suppose you get more and more fluent, but it's always exhausting. You never just get to speak your own language and relax and be able to joke the way that you can in your own language. What are the good things about it? What do you treasure about it? Um, The good things about it... Well, that was also one of the... I didn't want the whole book to be talking about how bad it was and stuff. I I think um, it really helped me... Basically, I was used to being excluded and being odd and stuff. Um, And there's still hardly any women doing comedy in Scotland, especially from my kind of background. So I think that helped me. Like, um, And I had the focus to keep going and doing comedy. Um, Is that because if you're autistic, you can get a special interest and then you completely focus on that? Do you think? Yeah, yeah. You just have almost tunnel vision and pursuing stuff. And then there's other things like a lot of the, I've read pretty much the whole uh, newly diagnosed autistic women canon at this point. And um, it tends to come from the same voices over and over again. It was other than Hannah Gadsby's book, it was pretty much exclusively middle class women, which is fair enough because it's dead expensive and costs not just money, but a lot of time to go and get diagnosed. Anyway. Fuck, what was the question? Have uh, I got ADHD? Good, uh, uh, <laughs> it's possible it's contagious and you've just caught it from sitting next to me. That's very possible. Or it oh, could what's be... the good things about it? Good things. Right, there's stuff I hadn't uh, read about before, but I know this is a thing because a lot of autistic women come to my shows. I like having a disregard for a lot of gender norms. For example, I've mentioned this in the book a lot, um, Maybe this doesn't happen anymore, but I feel like a lot of women kind of police each other on uh, who you're having sex with, or they, they did when... I like that one laugh. That's my member of the audience. <laughs> <laughs> um, they police each other having sex, whereas if you don't have any regard for sexual norms or if you don't acknowledge that being promiscuous carries a heavy social cost as a woman, then you're just going to go your own merry way. Uh, so there's a lot of Very that in the way. book. I it's, <laughs> it's I basically written a porno with stuff about autism in it. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I think the the sexual content's really dynamic, and I, I, I it's, it's, it's put really that on a, great. Put that on front of the book. The sexual stuff is really, <laughs> really dynamic. Deborah Francis. Although when I, I, I gave I, my quote in, you said, "Well, some of that's been cut for litigious reasons, like the lawyers oh won't let us say it." You can't say that your ex boyfriend was amazing at going down on you. You can't Can say you? that in a book. How is that libelous? I know. That also, feels like the opposite is he, of libel is to he me. going to take me to court and be like, I was terrible? <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> no man in the 
the world doesn't want that in black and white in print yeah no you can't no, you can't no yeah. straight man in the world doesn't want that in print or bisexual man in the world doesn't want that in print like I don't believe that <laughs> Did, even if you check in with him or you didn't want to uh, we aren't on speaking terms <laughs> alright so you couldn't just text him I'm writing a book uh, I just want to say unblock me please <laughs> I want to say you're good at liquor please <laughs> I yeah get your lawyer I, to talk to them I feel like a solicitor's letter which really scared him because it drops to things oh fuck it's a solicitor's letter oh god it's about Fern Brady oh, oh what a relief and then he would say yes to anything no I think the I think my book's lawyer really hated me. It was one of the longest legal reports ever. Wow. Oh my God, you can't say anything in a book these days. Well, what else did you try and say, to be fair? I've actually, I've been warned not to even refer to this. <laughs> <laughs> Basically. You can't even say what you couldn't say. I suppose that makes Basically, sense. Basically, there was one day I thought it'd be funny to tweet that I was sacking my entire legal team for the book. Yeah. And uh, they really don't like that. Uh, <laughs> they were like... Never refer to the legal process again on your social media. Oh, really? Media. Yeah, what, yeah. Because then people know that there's been things edited out. I mean, I think so. I think because there was there was like serious issues within but it. How, sorry, how can then Prince Harry say? I know. Like he didn't have those same lawyers, did he? Because no, he's, he's going frostbitten. Well, well, he can't defame his own cold well. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I think you must be able to say your own penis was frostbitten. Like yeah. in any, he, I can't see what. Co- yeah, but he can't so talk about the, the person that slapped him on the arse after he she de-virginized him. Oh yeah, de-virginized like, uh, <laughs> I love that. The de-virginization like he's been on a oil or something like that. It's been de-virginized. Um, he virginized him <laughs> since he misplaced his virginity behind a pub on the road, side of the road. What a yeah. random, that was a random story. Was, was that one of his teachers? What? Oh. Oh, no, I'm just guessing there. I thought it was his... This is why your lawyers are... <laughs> <laughs> We've invited your lawyers to sit with a bell and just ring a bell every time you say something. Um, but, um, what else in my book? <laughs> yeah, back to, back to you. Yeah, because I feel like Prince Harry's had a lot of fucking airtime this week. I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm going to all very, feel very sorry for them, but do we really need a six-part documentary and I, a book I actually and interviews? <laughs> I mean, I know, but it's just a lot of fucking airtime for two very privileged people. I'm very sorry about the whole, you know, everything. But Jesus Christ, there's now, yeah. like, he pushed me into a dog bowl. And I'm like, <laughs> mate, 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 you, have you heard of refugees? Because yeah. I'm just like, they, I mean, Jesus. Anyway, sorry. I probably shouldn't deviate into that. Now, um, your book, your mm. book, um, there were lots of things you couldn't say. Did you feel when you took those away, though, that, that you still had what were you going to... No, I had a really lovely time uh, with my editor and publisher. They were, they were great and they encouraged me to say what I wanted. And I just wanted to offer a sort of messier portrait of... Um, female autism because all the like I said all the books I was reading I've never read a book about an autistic woman I didn't like but they'd all had very quiet very sheltered lives which is good I'm glad they didn't have uh, a load of chaotic stuff happen to them but I was like I'm pretty sure there's other versions of me that have also had stuff like this happen so for example um there's more autistic women than you would think in sex work which no one would ever that that wouldn't be something people would ever think about yeah um but i was reading up on it and just people meeting people after my shows and stuff i have a lot of autistic people come to my shows and a lot of sex workers and it makes sense that um an autistic woman would go into sex work because we're 
often excluded from traditional workplaces. Um, strip clubs, for example, have really great low lighting. Uh, the uniforms, <laughs> you can pick the uniforms. They're really comfortable. Um, I'm being serious. I was a stripper for three years. That's also in the book, but I didn't want to reduce that bit tonight. And um, uh, yeah, like uh, the 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 conversations that you have as a stripper and a um, strip club are very very scripted and autistic women tend to learn scripted things to say and just rely on them so there was all these different avenues of autism uh that hadn't been talked about i felt like i was just seeing the same version again and again and all these different autistic women's books and i think that's a class thing i'm sure that this book will be very very widely read because it's very entertaining and it's very autobiographical with lots of really extraordinary details and i think a lot of people who might not read the middle class guide to autism uh, they might not read anything with autism in the title if you almost Mm. but they will read this and they'll go oh holy hell like, uh, they'll suddenly have an epiphany that they are autistic or someone they know should go and get diagnosed. And so I think it's a wonderful thing. But whether you uh, have any, you know, prior knowledge of autism or you're interested or you're not, this book is just such a great read. It's so funny and it's also very moving, um, much more moving than I expected it to be because, you know, I know you was a very funny comic and I was crying quite a few times in it. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I want, because I, I really think my parents are going to stop talking to me when it comes out. Oh, I was probably, imagining yeah. my mum reading the, that awful three-way chapter, being like, what does this have to do with autism? <laughs> um, but I basically thought... What does it have to do with autism? Um, I don't want to say here again for legal reasons. <laughs> but I thought, I wonder if I can take almost a tabloid approach to trying to um, teach people about autism because not everyone's interested in hearing a lot of really dry facts about it. So I thought, if I'm, if I'm going to take you through all these stories and I'm going to try and illustrate how it's related to being an autistic woman. So that was, that was what I did. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Will you, have you already recorded the, the audiobook? Oh, yeah, that was a blast. <laughs> <laughs> I made friends with the audiobook guy. Um, yeah, it was great fun. But he, within the first few pages, he was like, I think I might be autistic. Oh! <laughs> and um, uh, and his, his best friend was diagnosed. But then by the end, after we after the meltdowns chapter, which is easily like the, the most, that was easily like the most embarrassing bit to write, uh, he was like, yeah, I don't think I'm autistic. Because I think a lot of people think, oh, I'm a bit socially awkward. I am autistic too. But it's, not like, a- it's like a star side in a way. Do you know mm, like, I'm a yeah. Leo. Or yeah. not saying that everyone who thinks they're, you know. But people say to me, like, I think you have ADHD to me. And yeah. I'm afraid of, like, exploring that because I feel weird, like, shame. And not to hijack the end of this conversation, but, like... Uh, I just feel I just feel very weird about it. And you I could don't just know get why. diagnosed and not tell anyone, like a secret. <laughs> but look, honestly, uh, you know, you might get diagnosed and it might be something else, or yeah. you know. But what I've discovered, I think, this is a discovery. Female comics kept telling me that I had ADHD, and it, so many comedians, I think, have ADHD because it's a job we can do because we're lateral thinkers and it's not a lot of admin and often on whatsapp groups i'll see people going oh i'm meant to be in brighton and manchester tonight i've just realized but i'm actually in hull 
Can anybody <laughs> cover those gigs? Or, you know, or someone will put on their Facebook wall. The comedians of all genders will do this. They'll just go, oh, I've just got in my diary Peckham. Is that, am I meant to be doing a gig for anyone in Peckham? <laughs> now, this is really common. But the reason it gets diagnosed more in women than men is because when men do this, people just go, oh, he needs someone to look after him. Oh, he's a boy. Oh, he still lives with his mom. Oh, isn't he precious? And when women do it, people just go, well, that's not acceptable. You need to know where you, you should, you need to know where you should be. And people judge you very harshly. And I, I t- I've turned up late to a gig at the same time as a man and I've been the one that's been like, they've been like, where were you? Whereas with the man, they're like, well, that's just Ronnie. Yeah. Why is it just Ronnie? Why can't it just be Deborah? Why? Why? Why can't it just be Deborah? But that's, so that's why I think so many women who are in comedy have been diagnosed with ADHD. And so few men have, because what's seen as a disorder in women is just seen as a comedy career in men. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Women are always, I always get annoyed on TV shows that all the, people doing the admin and the organising, they're just constantly women over and over again. So there seems to be an expectation on them to just mother everyone and uh, do all the travel booking and all that. So Yeah, I remember coming back from Edinburgh and this man came down the train, male comic, I'll tell you who it was later. And he was going, he was going, <laughs> hey, has anyone got anywhere to stay? Because I forgot to think about my accommodation after Edinburgh. And... Uh, this, I hate guys like and that. And he was just like, just saying, hey, is anyone... And everyone on the train was a comedian, so like he was just like asking everyone. And as he walked past, I said to this comedian next to me, I was like, why have female... She was a woman. And I was like, why, why have female comedians so got their shit together all the time and male comedians haven't? And she's like, it's just a social expectation. It's just he knows he can do that and someone will take him in. But she, And of course someone did. But she said, if you went down the train saying, can I stay with you? People would go... No. Yeah. No. And not because they don't like you. It's just that they'd be like, why haven't you organised anything? Yeah. So I think it's similar with the, you know, the masking that you were talking about as well. The feminist takeaway I took from this so much was women have codes. Women, sisterhood have codes where we'll go, yeah. And we expect other women to know what that means. And if you're an autistic woman you don't necessarily know what that means. So you can be excluding with your sisterhood codes or not being kind to a woman who can't fit in and do that. And so ask yourself, when you're doing all of your, you know, some of them are nice, some of them are fun, some of them are, but are they, if you're noticing someone who's often being left out or can't seem to sing to that same rhythm, what can you do to bring them into the conversation? Or in fact, Mm. go and have a one-on-one conversation with them. And so that really, that was a real eye-opener for me. Um, Fern, we're coming to the end of our time. Is there anything that you came to say that you didn't get to say? Oh, I can't think of anything. Just, uh, I'm dead proud of my book. I never say that about my stand-up shows. Uh, Lots of people are saying nice things about it. Uh, Please buy it. I really need pre-orders so the publishers are happy with me or something. (laughs) They told me to say that. But it covers... (laughs) (laughs) Uh, it covers a lot, man. It goes from, if I was just to outline it, it goes from childhood, mace with a tree, uh, <laughs> teenhood in a mental unit, got a little girlfriend. Oh, we didn't even cover that. My little girlfriend in the mental unit. Then I was a stripper. Uh, then I was best friends with an elderly Asian man because no one else would be friends with me. Um, what else? Uh, ab- abusive boyfriend, um, success in comedy, the end. 
I know that the autistic people in the audience will really appreciate you laying out what's going to happen. Like or there are autistic people in. I'm no. I mean, we have, I think we advertised the topic, so I'm sure there are autistic people in, and I know of one, and I'm sure that they will really love that you've laid out the chapters in that way and said this is what's going to happen. <laughs> and I think, uh, yeah, it's just a remarkable book, and I think you should... What, what, when is it on? Is it on pre-order now? You, yeah, you can pre-order it now uh, on Where Audible. would you like people um, to pre-order it? Um, it doesn't really matter to me. There's a nice indie bookshop called Porty Books. Uh, Porty Books. Porty, Porty Books in Edinburgh, and they're doing signed copies and dedicated copies. But I'm going to put a thing on my Instagram saying the different indie bookshops. Or you could just go Amazon fund Jeff's trip to space. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't mind. Great. Okay. And could you say the name of the book of the publisher? Oh, the book is called Strong Female Character and it's published by Brazen. Great. Um, and Brazen is an imprint of Hashit, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And it's doing really extraordinary new voices. So I'm very, very thrilled that you're part of that imprint. Alison, do you have anything to plug? Yeah, I'm doing a tour of my show called Wet, which is about getting the coil in and, uh, <laughs> and uh, feeling suicidal after it, but it is funny. So... <laughs> Come along to that. It's touring. It's going to Edinburgh, uh, Glasgow, everywhere. It's doing a little run in Soho on the 15th and 16th of March. Oh, so come uh, back here on the 15th and the 16th of March. Come back here on the 15th or 16th of March. Can they buy tickets for that yet? They can do that right now. So on the way out, they could buy tickets. Oh, on the way out, they can pre-order Fern's book and get tickets for me. <laughs> and uh, then have a nice life. Uh, Great. Yeah. Um, a huge... Uh, round of applause and thank you for the incredible Fern Brady. The wonderful Alison Spittle. A big round of applause for everyone at Soho Theatre. And of course, Hannah. You have been listening to The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Crotzler's wife, guest host, Alison Spittle, and our very special guest, Fern Brady. The recording engineer was Grundle Zimbra. Music was by Mark Hodge. The producer was Tom Selinski for the Spontaneity Shop. Thanks to Rachel Kaufman, Gina Dizio, Zainab Mohammed, and everyone at Soho Theatre, as well as all of you for listening. For more information about this and other episodes, visit guiltyfeminist.com. I don't know. Where else do you listen to it? Like exercising or like, I don't know, commuting. Thank you. Um, uh, what, does anyone listen to it doing anything unfeminist? Unfeminist? Yeah. Like, can you imagine someone getting absolutely railed while listening to I'm a feminist? <laughs> like someone has done that. Like genuinely. I, I, I mean, I this... don't imagine it's many people's underscore for shagging. I... Just I reckon... undermine them. Does anyone want that? I don't know that anyone wants that, Alison. Also, it's not, it's not unfeminist to have hard sex. No, I know that. That's, That's true. And did you hear that? Who was, was that? That, that was, was Vincent that endorsing Vincent? that. <laughs> Vincent endorsed that. Vincent the endorser. I heard him go, yep. Yeah. 
<laughs> that's true. That's true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just to be clear. Okay. Um, so we've had that. <laughs> okay. So okay. normally you listen doing something, you know, you know but, but tonight it's live. So when you hear me say live. The Guilty Feminist is provided exclusively from Acast. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com.